0: Mark chapter 10, verses 32 to 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem, with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the gentiles who will mock him and spit on him flog him and kill him three days later he will rise then james and john the sons of zebedee came to him teacher they said we want you to do for us whatever we ask what do you want me to do for you he asked They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Uh, Over the past few weeks, uh, I'm sure that you
1: can't have failed to have noticed that there's been a lot of men in power uh, in the media. We've heard many accounts over the last few weeks of men who've used their positions of power uh, to sexually harass and abuse some women, politicians and actors, filmmakers, people in the media. And through the the hashtag uh, MeToo, we've also been confronted by how widespread uh, this has been for the last 40, 50 longer years. Whatever our view on how the media has handled this, uh, many of us, either personally ourselves or through the stories that we've heard from family and friends that we've perhaps talked uh, talked about this with, uh, have come face to face with the way that power... Has been used as a tool for somebody else's pleasure and purposes. Sadly, this stuff that we've heard over the past few weeks is nothing very new, is it? Uh, Richard Nixon, after he was impeached in the Watergate scandal, said this: when the, pres- what the president does uh, — sorry, when the president does it, then it is not illegal. When the president does it, then it is not illegal. Perhaps things never change in the White House. Uh, Nixon perceived that with his power, he could do anything. He could do whatever he wanted. Here is somebody who believed that their position and their power made them untouchable. As we look in at this encounter between Jesus and his disciples, we see how power... And pride have been the marks of human behavior and leadership for thousands of years but as we are going to look into this passage together this evening I hope we'll see how once again Jesus turns the ways of the world on its head as he challenges these norms of power and pride and replaces them instead with love and humility time and again in Mark's gospel Uh, we encounter Jesus hinting to the disciples about what lies ahead for him. At the beginning of our passage tonight that Emily just read for us in verses 32 to 34, if you've still got it open, uh, we hear Jesus uh, taking his 12 closest friends aside and he's preparing them. Jesus' friends have their sights set on Jerusalem, the capital, the way they're going. They're they're no doubt excited. They're thinking, you know, here we go, at last, Jesus is going to bring about some political and spiritual revolution that we're wanting and waiting for. But Jesus makes it clear to them in these few verses what actually lies ahead. I'll just read to you verses 33 to 34. Jesus says this, We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Jesus is not exactly dropping subtle hints anymore. He's pretty explicit uh, uh, regarding where they're heading. I'm going to be handed over, he says. I'm going to be condemned to death, and I'll be mocked, and I'll be spat on, and I'll be flocked, and I'll be killed. But three days later, I will rise again. Now, remember, we are sat here reading this with the benefit of hindsight. We know what actually happened to Jesus when he gets to Jerusalem. But remember, the disciples didn't know that at that time. They're trying to piece it all together. If I hear a piece of news, uh, it's like I read that news or listen to that news through my own filters, my understanding of the the world that I live in, what has happened in my life. I bring to it my social background, the fact that I am married and I've got three children. I I, I read it through uh, the sort of eyes or the filters of my faith. And this is exactly what the disciples are doing here. Even though they've been hanging out with Jesus now for nearly three years, They're still filtering Jesus' words through their own Jewish understanding, their own background, their own ideas of revolution and what it means that Jesus might be the Messiah, their own hopes and dreams of what lays ahead. And so we get this quite extraordinary request from James and John. They say this, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you to do for us whatever we ask. For all intents and purposes, that is a pretty arrogant thing to say, isn't it? We want you to do for us whatever we ask. If my children asked me to do that, I'd be like, no, uh, I'm not going to do for you whatever I ask. Suddenly, James and John look a little bit like glory hunters. It looks like they want power for their own purposes. But Jesus says to them... uh, what do you want me to do for you? And they reply with these words. Let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Let one of us sit on your right and the other at your, le- at your left in glory. Now, James and John have just heard what Jesus has been telling them about this journey to Jerusalem. But it's almost as though they've not heard it really. They've filtered out what Jesus has said about uh, his trial and suffering and death. And it seems to be they've just focused on the rising again bit. And so they've assumed that everything is just going to be fine. This is Jesus after all. And even though there might be some hassle along the way, Jesus will bring about a revolution. And when that happens, they want to be in on that glory moment. And so they ask, Jesus, we want to be either side of you when you come, when you march into glory, when you come into your kingdom. And you can almost hear Jesus just shaking his head in response, you don't know what you're asking, he says. They've understood what Jesus has said through their own filters of what power looks like and their own pride. But Jesus sees everything through what he knows lies ahead, and that is the cross. The motivation behind James and John's request is power. They want to be at the center of what's happening. They want to be the most important disciples And power is that vice that seduces and grabs people's heart, doesn't it? And we see it all around us. You might see it in your university or your workplace, in your school, in your family. Power is a vice that grabs people's hearts. I think it's interesting uh, that right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the third temptation that Satan puts in front of Jesus is power. He takes Jesus uh, to the top of a really high building uh, and he looks over this whole kingdom, the whole land before him and says, all this can be yours, all this can be yours, Jesus, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus is wrestling during those temptations with the sort of really human temptations that we all wrestle with. And power is right at the center of what grabs many of our hearts. So many of us, especially if we find ourselves at some point in a leadership position, seek power. And then when it comes, we give in to the temptations that come along with power, whether that's pride or boastfulness or greed or thinking more highly of yourself than you ought or putting people down or just not seeing everybody else as Jesus sees them. And that's why we hear about people in power who who do, that's why when we hear about people in power doing things a bit differently from that, with perhaps love, or perhaps with humility, it's so surprising. Uh, this week, I was reading an article uh, on the Telegraph online, um, and uh, it was telling us about how at Manchester United, uh, the most successful team in the Premier League history, it hires people to go to millionaires' uh, houses to change their millionaire player houses just to change the light bulbs because obviously they can't change the light bulb themselves. Uh, and it was talking about how Floyd Mayweather, uh, the best boxer in the world, he hires somebody. Uh, to pick up his dirty underwear uh, following his gym sessions every day, more money than sense. Um, but also it talks about Richie McCaw and Dan Carter, these guys that are going to come up on the screen. New Zealand, all blacks rugby players, uh, two of the most important r- successful rugby players of our generation, evidently, so my husband tells me. Uh, and these guys, they pick up a broom and they sweep the dressing rooms clean after every game they've done it their whole careers when all the other guys have left when there's stuff everywhere they stay behind and they clear up that dressing room because they always want to leave it the same way that they arrived in the dressing room two really powerful really successful people in their field modeling humility in the way that they lead why do people seek power I think it's because power is an easy substitute for the hard task of love. Think about it for a moment. How does love make you feel? How do you feel when you feel loved? Feeling loved makes us feel wanted. It makes us feel important to somebody else. It makes us feel like we have a purpose, It gives us an identity or wholeness or a sense of belonging. But because love can only be found in relationship with other people or with God, it's a hard thing. Love is a hard thing. Power, on the other hand, can make you feel wanted and important. It makes you feel like you've got a purpose. It gives you identity and belonging. All those things associated through giving and receiving love but love is the much harder task and love not power is the way of the cross the way that Jesus was discip- uh, teaching his disciples to walk love not power is the way of the cross and that is the way that Jesus was teaching his disciples to walk James and John say Let one of us sit at your right and the other at at your left. And Jesus asks, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? It's not all about power and pride, Jesus is telling them. If you're going to follow me, he's saying the road is going to be tough. It's the way of the cross. And this image of the cup that Jesus uses here, it would be an image that would be really uh, familiar to the disciples because writers all the way through the Old Testament use this image of the cup regularly to symbolize suffering or punishment for sin. And so Jesus is saying, if you really want to be like me, Are you ready, James or John or Sarah or Stuart or Jeff or whatever your name is, are you ready to share this cup of suffering, to share this burden of sin that I'm going to have to carry, this road of pain and suffering in order that people might fully know the forgiveness and the love that God has for them? Only a short time later, uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is there again, and he's wrestling with what lays ahead. And he pleads with his Father God. He says, take this cup from me, this cup of suffering and pain that I know I'm going to have to bear for the sin of the world. Take this cup from me. James and John have got their filter slightly wrong. They want power, but for their own purposes. James and John are focused on thrones and crowns, but Jesus is focused on humility and love. He can only see the cross before him, and they, in this moment, can only see themselves. Tom Wright puts it like this. The cross is not, for Jesus, a difficult episode to be got through on the way to a happy ending. It is precisely God's way of standing worldly power and authority on its head. The cross, the suffering of Jesus, is the vital part of how God turns worldly power and authority upside down. You see, this whole encounter between Jesus and his disciples, James and John, uh, we see in this encounter a collision of two different worlds, two different ideologies God's world and ours. Our world seems so often to be about pride and power. But in this moment, it collides with God's world, which is all about love and humility and sacrifice. Henri Nguyen, who's an amazing Christian writer, hits the nail on the head when he puts it like this. It seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people than to love people easier to own life than love life but jesus way of leadership is not about upward mobility or power oppressing other people for our own means but it's about love and sacrifice And that's what Jesus is trying to make his disciples understand here. Jesus came for the last and the least and the lost, those who have no power in the world's eyes. Jesus gave up his power when he went to the cross. He chose the way of sacrifice and suffering and love. Jesus chose the way of love over power. And then what about this juxtaposition of pride and humility that we see here in this encounter with Jesus? Jesus. After he's had this little chat with James and John, uh, Jesus speaks really boldly to the rest of the disciples, making it clear that there's absolutely no place for pride in his kingdom. In verse 42, uh, Jesus brings secular leaders into the spotlight, people in authority who lord themselves and their power over other people. And we've all seen that, haven't we, around us in our world today, people who are perhaps so bound up in their position they walk around the place as though uh, they own everything and everybody. People believe they're greater than others because of their post or their position or their fame or their talents. They might be successful in the, the short term, but who, who do they trample over to get to that position? They're filled with pride. Maybe that resonates with you because you feel like that sometimes. Or maybe you've been the victim of somebody like that. They're filled with pride, and yet Jesus is saying here, there's no place for pride in leadership in God's kingdom. In my life, pride looks like those times where I rely on myself and my own abilities too much. When I sideline the Holy Spirit and his involvement and find myself thinking, I'm okay, I've got this, it's all under control, I can do this on my own and be brilliant. And Jesus says in Mark 10, 43, and he says it to me and he says it to all of us not so with you you follower of mine there are different standards here he doesn't actually say that that was my bit not so with you instead whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first must be a slave to all that's what it looks like in God's kingdom Uh, A number of years ago here at P's and G's, I think about 20 years ago, uh, the rector at the time uh, was uh, a man called Michael Maudsley. Some of you might remember him. And he decided to swap roles with Dave. Uh, Dave at the time uh, was the associate rector, and he was the rector. Uh, uh, But he recognized in Dave uh, something that he didn't have Dave's sort of obvious gifts of leadership. And so they swapped roles uh, so that Dave could become the rector and Michael became the associate rector. Now, I've never met Michael, but when I heard about that, I thought, wow, what an incredible thing to do. What a guy. What an incredible demonstration of humble leadership where it's not about you and your pride and your position and your success, but it's about putting God first, his kingdom first, being a servant, being a slave to all. The prophet Micah, speaking many years before Jesus, declared this. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. When our filter is the cross, power and pride have no place in our lives and our leadership. But love and humility always do. And I want us to explore this a little bit further in a slightly different way tonight. And actually think about what does this actually look like? Uh, So I've asked Cathy to come and uh, chat with us. Um, Because Cathy is very powerful lady <laughs> in many ways. Uh, so Kathy can you just tell us uh, about what your work is and what your position of leadership is?
2: Yeah so I am a clinical psychologist and um, I head up the psychology team in the child and adolescent mental health service CAMS which serves the population of NHS Lothian which is kind of Edinburgh, Midlothian, West Lothian, East Lothian and I have um a role in the service which is a multidisciplinary leadership role so I kind of do a bit of other stuff as well and I'm, I'm the CAMS advisor for the Scottish Government so a few bits and bobs.
1: A few bits bobs, it's a big job. Okay so uh, just to put it in context a little bit can you tell us a bit about in your uh, role at work how many people do you sort of oversee, what sort of teams do you have
2: So we've got 16 teams because we work, um, we've got an inpatient team, lots of outpatient teams, a learning disabilities team, all sorts of other teams working with under-18s. So the 16 teams all together, psychology staff, I have about 60 staff, lots of those are part-time, so it sounds a bit more than it is, Um, and as a service there's about 300 staff.
1: Okay, so it's quite a lot of people. Uh, you obviously have a huge amount of power in your leadership role <laughs> as yeah. well. Uh, so can you just give us an example of how in your role and in your job uh, of a time where perhaps uh, pride and power might have got in the way a little bit?
2: I think that's quite easy. Last week was a really busy week and um, I was hurtling from place to place. Uh, and As you'd expect, in the kind of job I do, one of the important things is to be available for people when they want to check something out or ask you or just talk something through. I was too busy. Mm -hmm. So last week, all I wanted them to do was a bit like James and John, do whatever I say. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, dictatorship seemed just such a good idea rather than kind of leadership um, last week. And that wasn't just last week. I I think that is... um, that feels like quite a strong push in me to, to remember not to do that mm, yeah. um, and not to be a bit grumpy and just a bit short but try to be accessible and to be available and it, it's it's not straightforward
1: I know that's what God would ask me to do mm. but I don't get that right okay brilliant uh I think that's really great because it makes you look really human as well. Which (laughs) I am. Yeah, you are. (laughs) Um, So, how do you face the challenge of of every day leading a lot of people when you've got all this pressure upon you in a Christ like way? Um, I think praying helps.
2: Mm. Um, uh, You know, clearly reading my Bible, um, worshipping, being part of P's and G's has been um, life giving Mm. um, and uh, has helped me grow in my faith, has helped me grow as a leader. Um, Praying at work, praying um, with a colleague that I pray with and have prayed with for years. Um, And I think um, hanging hanging in there sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think having hope um, and believing that this is something Christ has called me to and will give me the courage and the strength and the ability to do that Mm -hmm. with him. So I think it's a different perspective when probably at times I could feel, and do sometimes, feel very overwhelmed and
1: hard-pressed. There is still hope. Yeah, brilliant. And... Uh, It was interesting that you just mentioned praying with somebody because I think one of the things uh, that struck me when I was doing this was about that concept that we need other people around us, that we can't do it on our own at all. You know, Jesus intentionally hung out with 12 people on a regular basis as well and actually people in power that don't have that often stumble. So I would have a
2: really, really good um, team of psychologists who I am very invested in seeing their growth and their development as leaders because um, I won't be there forever and I might just suddenly leave um, and um, also have a leadership coach who I've worked with and who is very challenging of me and makes me think but also when I feel very stuck and in a hole helps me take a step back yeah. and reflect and um, Rather than keep on trying to do it in the Cathy way, perhaps do it in a slightly different way and actually see better results. So, certainly, and I've got a, a team that if I am grumpy or a bit nippy and different to the way they might expect me ordinarily will pick me up on it they'll challenge me and Mm -hmm. I'm really Mm -hmm. glad for
1: that. Great so can you uh, just lastly share a win that you've had perhaps where you have led or stepped out in humility and love and that's been something that's been really helpful in your position. I don't think it's ever that straightforward
2: (laughs) I think it's always a mix isn't it that you kind of you pray and you hope and you Um, you want to do it in the right way but the reality is day by day I don't Mm -hmm. Um, but I think there have been times uh, where we've um, the service and I as a leader in the service have been under lots and lots of pressure Mm -hmm. and it's felt horrendous and I think in those times um, I think one of the things I've done is endure Mm -hmm. and be faithful Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's because I have people standing with me in that both at work and here Um, I think a win also is I'm in a really privileged position. We work with, I have people working with me when they come out of university as graduates. I have people who are doing the postdoctoral and the MSc training programs who come on placement with us and then people at the beginning of their career. And we've had lots of people who've come As graduates who then have gone to be trainees and and are working in the service Mm. and because we have been here for donkey's years um, I've had the pleasure of seeing um, staff grow and develop and use their gifts and they are amazing Mm. and that is fantastic and I suppose that for me feels like I think works like church in that we're a body and we're a family and that we are gifted in the way that God needs for the task. Mm. And part of my job is to help people use their Mm. gifts and Mm. to grow in those gifts and Mm. to have the freedom to use them. Mm. Working in the public sector, that sounds easier than it is in reality because our staff are under masses of pressure. Mm. Mm. Um, but, But I think seeing the really good people that I have the pleasure and privilege of of leading of working with um, is definitely a win.
1: Brilliant, thank you, thanks Cathy. Let's give Cathy a clap, shall we? Well done, thank you.